Welcome to Noble Warrior. If you're looking for practical advice to increase your fulfillment and impact, you came to the right place. My name is CK Lin, and I talk to visionaries about their hero's journey, specifically about mindset, mental models, actionable tactics, so then you can go out and navigate yours. Now, if you have any friends who could use some of these clarity and insights, please share this with them on social media. My next guest is a master tea blender. He's the founder of The Art of Tea. He has crafted custom blends and tea programs for the likes of Google, Vera Wang, and Slack. Whether you drink tea or not, this man's unusual journey with tea allowed him to tap into 10x the abundance and fulfillment. And you don't want to miss that. And here are a few things that we talked about. Why would high performers like Kevin Rose and Tim Ferriss be interested in scouring all over the world? for the best tea. How to use tea and other botanicals to create an experience that rivals psychedelics without the potential downside. Why Silicon Valley favors the elevated state of tea mind for productivity. How a 2% shift can make a huge impact in the lives of others. How to create a rockstar team that supports you to stay in your zone of genius. How to 10X your flow of abundance do a simple mindset shift. The one discipline necessary to lift yourself from your darkest times. How to harness your darkest moments into a powerful force for creation. Please enjoy my conversation with Steve Schwartz from The Art of Tea. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. So you've been going to different places all over the world the world, Asia, India, Africa, and in the Middle East to broaden your knowledge around tea. So if you can recall back, what is the most unusual place, the most unexpected place where you found amazing tea? I'd say Laos. Laos. So I was exploring the Golden Triangle and I went into this little French bakery and the woman that had this French bakery had these tea leaves. It was wrapped almost like a sage stick or it was like wrapped in string. And so that's what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was like a smudge of some kind, but it was actually tea leaves and you were to break it off. So those tea aficionados might liken it to be like a poor two cha or like a, like a disc. It wasn't quite like that. It was literally tea leaves compressed together and, and hand sewn. So, I tried it at her shop and was blown away. I've never had tea like this before. And I asked her, where did you get this? She said, oh, some, some farmers that are out uh, in the fields. And I said, where? She's that way. And why? And I'm like, I, I need to find this. This is incredible. So I literally got on my moped and I just started going out into, into the direction carrying this thing. And at that point, I didn't really know what tea bushes necessarily looked like. I knew a lot about botanicals and herbs, and which I'm sure we'll dive into. But it, I just I had to I had to find this because the not just the taste effect, but the the biological and the al the alchemistic effect that was happening as I was consuming this product. I I needed to figure out a way to share this with the world on a deeper level. So. 
Do you mind going into the subjective experience? What is that the physiological effect? What is that? Yeah, overall so, effect? that would be really great. Yeah, totally. First of all, when most people think of tea, they may be thinking of one of two things. They may be thinking tea is disgusting. It's in some sort of bag that's been sitting on a supermarket shelf for a long period of time. And I need to add milk. I need to add honey. I need to add sugar in order to get some sort of product experience that's going to be somewhat tangible. And you might get a little bit of a rush, but man, I'm a coffee drinker. I don't know that this is going to impact me. And the other is some really far out distant thing that in other cultures, not necessarily my culture, that that is appreciated. And so this far off tangible, untangible thing, how could we somehow make it more, more tangible? And so consuming this camellosinesis that we now know of as tea, and we can get more into the backstory of what is tea and really enjoying a true tea in its purest state, the whole leaf state was mind blowing because it wasn't cut and, and sifted and separated out into a tea bag. This was the freshest leaves possible and consuming that, how can I liken it? It's if you have ever grown or, or picked a fresh apple or harvested your own carrots, the taste profile from being freshly drawn from a living organism it, or from the earth, it, it's you taste the energetic proponents on such a deeper level. And there's also, you're able to get the polyphenols, the flavonoids, the catechins, all the other elements in a much on a much richer level as well when you're consuming a whole leaf. So for me, having this, my mental state was more active. My my thyroid, my which governs metabolism and governs immunity, was more active. And I, I just felt everything super engaged. And so this was really, I'd say, my first true authentic tea experience. So uh, that actually almost sounds like a spiritual awakening moment that you had. <laughs> everything was more higher vibration. You felt more alive. You felt more engaged. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that, that's what it sounded like to me. So how did I get to Laos? So my background's in Ayurveda and I got into Ayurveda because when I was 19 years old, my, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and I, we were just on conventional medicine the whole time. We went from one doctor to the next doctor and there's nothing wrong with conventional medicine. It just, it really didn't work for our family. So she ended up passing away. And at that point, I'd say it was my, if you want to call it awakening, I mean, wow, this is, this is powerful. I, I literally felt her spirit leave and mm -hmm. I wanted to study medicine, but I also wanted to understand cancer better. And I realized that I didn't want to stick needles in people, not that there's anything wrong with acupuncture. And I didn't want to be a, a traditional medical doctor. I didn't want to be an herbologist or a massage therapist. And I go see all of them for different, for depending on what's going on. But I, so 
I just realized cancer must have been around for thousands of years. We only just recently created this concept that we know of as cancer, and labeled it as cancer. So I started to look into old texts, into old books, and, and soon found this philosophy of medicine called Ayurveda. And this is about 25 years ago. And really fell in love with the alchemy of this practice, which incorporated diet, neurobiology, and lifestyle and wellness, and went to the school in New Mexico and fell in love with the place and became the only student advanced enough to work with the uh, masters at my school on how to blend and source uh, within the pharmacy. And this is before the internet really took off. So we were looking at old Indian phone books and faxing people overseas. And so we were bringing these raw material dried botanicals and we blend it for patients and send them off on their way. But that room was a sacred space. And I remember calling on one of our vendors and I needed to order some ginkgo. And he said, sir, would you like ginkgo on an Eastern slope or a Western slope next to a river? And being a young, cocky, early 20 year old, it was like, dude, I, it doesn't matter. I just need to order ginkgo. And he said, no, sir, I'm sorry. It does matter. And you, you need to come here yourself and experience it. Wow. So I was intrigued. I saved my money. I worked four different jobs from cleaning houses to waiting tables to working at the pharmacy and in school full time. And I got a backpack and started traveling around the world to find the best teas and botanicals possible. So I started meeting with these different farmers. So, so I really didn't know that much about tea. Yeah. So pause for a moment. I want to do, do a quick recap before you go on and share more adventures with us. Okay. So you were inspired by your mom's illness as mm -hmm. in, Hey, there's something I want to solve cancer. You started looking around, you knew what you didn't like. You didn't want to to cut people open, put needles in them. So you started looking for some other ways and you found this Ayurveda discipline and, and you also recognize there are some competencies that you have that you develop competencies and you're like, Hey, I'm actually, I could be really good at this. So you continue down that path as you discover your own Dharmic path. Is that an accurate reflection of what you said? Yeah, I'd say so. So I think we all have superpowers. We all have certain powers and certain abilities. And I think part of it was just diving into the alchemy of blending. That was a big thing for me. Like, how is it that you can take one herb and another herb, blend them together? And it's not that one plus one equals two, but one plus one can equal four or six. So they multiply. Now, on its own, within its dry state, these two botanicals, you can just put them in a bowl and they don't do anything. But somehow, the context of how the body is able to digest the different botanicals, your body then becomes a machine that's able to process and heal and elevate the, the source of those botanicals. So it's sort of like you need to tap into your email in order for you to tap in your email you need to type in a password and that password's unique depending on capitals and and number sequences but you cannot access your email unless you type in the password exactly how it's meant to be typed in so 
herbs and botanicals are very much the same way. So actually, I, I'm very curious about this. I personally haven't tapped into the been my potential haven't been unlocked through the power and the combination of this these alchemy of that that you've spoken of. So for someone who is interested, I do want to learn about it. I'm curious, right? Especially for someone like you who who study you know lifetimes and years to to study this. What would you say to someone who is curious, like, oh, what is that? to have my potential being unlocked by this unique blend of botanicals and herbs and teas and so forth. So what's amazing is in many cultures around the world where you have these native tribes that are living within the natural atmosphere, so to speak, they're able to, through, through knowledge and wisdom, they're able to know which plants are known to help with certain ailments. And not only do they know it, one, you can, you can say well, it's maybe through trial and error, or maybe it's because it's been passed down from generation to generation. And how is it that one botanical, the leaf could be healing for one part of the body while the root of the same plant could be absolute poisonous for, or absolute poison for another part of the body. So there's an intuition that can develop through one, being aware of your natural habitat. All right, Steve. So you tell me that I need to one, be more aware of my natural habitat. And I could be living in a very metropolitan area. How do I know that there's healing botanicals and, and healing herbs around me? So there's a story of a, a master and a student. And the master says, you're now ready for your final exam. I want you to go within a one mile radius and I want you to find me a single botanical that does not have medicinal properties behind it. The student's excited, goes out, comes back 24 hours later, sobbing. This is master, I, I failed. I could not find a single botanical that did not have medicinal properties behind it. And the master looks up and smiles and says, no, in fact, you've passed. So every flower, every leaf, every botanical has the power and the potential of having medicinal properties. In fact, over 80% of all medicine that's produced in the world is derived from plants and derived from nature. So there's two things that I'd recommend. One is spend more time in nature, get to know the local foliage, the local things that are around your area, whether you're living in Canada or Wisconsin or deep in Mexico, wherever you might be living, there there's natural there are natural habitat natural flora around you that is worth exploring and oddly enough the natural botanicals are known to help with certain ailments so for example snake bites if you have rattlesnake bite within southern california there are certain cacti and there's certain botanicals that help bypass some of the poisons within a snake bite if hmm. also if you take a look at the ginkgo leaf looks like um a brain mm. there's two hemisphere the ginkgo which is an ancient tree by the way there's it's been around for there are fossils of it being supposedly around millions and millions of years and ginkgo is known to actually help with with brain power mm. so there are symbols in nature and there are symbols within the world, but part of it's one getting more connected. Mm. The, the, the second and the last part is knowing 
the digestive effect of a botanical. So one of the things that there was a rash group of us that got really into the alchemy of the, it's, there's a left side of Tantra, which most of us within the world know of as being more sexual energy. And then there's the right side of Tantra, which is a bit more metaphysical. And there was a rash of us that wanted to understand the connection of that, the connection of yoga, the connection of Ayurveda, and the connection of herbology and alchemy. And how can we be true alchemists? I, I don't, I've never shared this with anyone, but I feel like you're drawing this out of me in a way. In, in a sense, what would happen is we would want to really understand the pre-digestive, the digestive, and the post-digestive effect of the different botanicals. So if someone was really curious, they could, if they're really into yoga and really into tapping in, they might try this. I'm not recommending it. I'm not a doctor. I, I'm not giving any sort of legal disclaimers here, but just sharing what we did was we would fast on a Thursday and we would just ingest that botanical and we would understand the pre-digestive, meaning as we were sipping the extract of that botanical, what was happening in our mouth, what was happening in the aromatic performance of that, what was happening as we were digesting it, and what was happening after it's left our body. So even on a cellular level. And the best way I could describe those three different levels is let's say I'm telling you a I'm telling you a joke, right? So you're starting to absorb the joke, right? You're pre-digesting the joke. I finished delivering the joke. You get the joke. Boom. The, yes, I totally understand the joke. And then an hour goes by. And even though you thought the joke was really funny at the time, an hour goes by and you realize, you know what? That really wasn't that funny. That was kind of messed up. Mm -hmm. So you're digesting the joke very differently. So the same thing happens with the foods and the herbs and the botanicals that we consume. So I think having a bit of a deeper awareness and understanding through a very simple practice of isolating the different botanicals one at a time to getting a deeper understanding. And the third, and I, I'd say the most important is find yourself a teacher, find yourself someone that you can really track with that can help make sure that you're not digesting weird shit and that you're going down this this wrong path so really make sure you're tracking with someone that that you trust that can make sure that you're doing it safely yeah thank you for sharing that i really really appreciate <laughs> sure. it. yeah no <laughs> you open up a number of loops i wanted to make sure i hear everything right so you suggested for someone like me who's interested in this one spend more time in nature really broaden my awareness of it two design an experiment, an isolation experiment, so that we can basically isolate, hey, pre-digestion, during digestion, and post-digestion, what's an impact it has on my body. And three, I talked about finding the right teacher. So there's all different kind of loops I can go down the different path. It actually reminds me of, because uh, on this podcast, we talk a lot about ayahuasca and things like that. I don't know if you personally have an experience of it, but in the uh, native tradition, they have the practice called dieta. Essentially, they will uh, drink ayahuasca and also take on a different botanical and just really studying the impact it has on the body, 
before, during, and after. And then you do that for, I don't know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, or so forth. Because ayahuasca itself, or, or uh, yahe, or whatever, is a, as a multiplier of the sensations, the image, the emotions, and all of that. So then you can really study, like, basically the different nuances of that. Have you heard about the etar at all? Yes. And... Uh... I'm not one to lead the practice. I can tell you that during my 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 time, it's interesting, and I, I assume that your listeners are are tapped into sort of the differentiation of there's how we might classify drugs as a whole, right? So cocaine, heroin, ayahuasca might be classified as drugs and so there's a lot of negative connotation that can happen with this and at the same time it's become quite in popular use ayahuasca i i i'd say dmt has had a, a deeper impact on my way of viewing my connection with the world if we're talking about substances more than ayahuasca so I've, I've not had a positive experience with ayahuasca, not that other people haven't, but it's been many years since I've uh, done it and, and who I did it with, but you want to make sure that you're doing it with someone that you really trust. But I've not gone through the journey of doing it and then digesting different botanicals. At the time when we were doing it, it was studying yoga very intensely. And I found that just through the practice of studying yoga and the practice of meditation, very much along the lines of what Ram Das from his book, Be Here Now, discovered was, yes, there are substances that can fast track, but through once you open up that door, you have the power and the potential and the possibility to continue to tap into that door. It's going to take a little bit more effort, but I believe that through meditation and through yoga practice, and, and also just the simple act of Camila Sinesis, I feel like for me, gets me tapped into a calm, energetic zone where I'm able to tap into and, and open the doors of either just being hyper-present or tapping into a, a deeper sub-self. Yeah. Uh, a lot of different ways that I can follow up with that. Yeah. So quick recap. There are many paths that you've experimented with. DMT is one of them that that really has helped bring you that awareness. But T is the path that you've chosen to devote your life after. Is that an accurate reflection of what you just said? So even more so, I'd say just the path of Ayurveda. So yes, mm. there's there's many people that have practiced ayahuasca, and and I'd say that I've experimented, but the slow methodical practice of Ayurveda and the slow methodical practice of tea and really understanding the leaf has had a much deeper impact on me long-term than these short spikes and these short rushes that, that tend to happen. If yeah. people want, I think what happens is you, there's people look for the instant rush. They look for that mm -hmm. shortcut um, and don't get me wrong, ayahuasca, I know people that have personally have healed themselves through pancreatic cancer and through other depression and other major things through using ayahuasca. And it, it could be a, a tremendously healing 
path. It's just not the path that's worked for me. I, I believe that there are other paths that have had more of a, a deeper impact. Yeah. Let me reflect back on my personal experience and how I think about it. And that may underline or, or unpack for anyone who's listening for it. Cool. So for me, as someone who's super hyper cerebral in my past days, I'm a recovering cerebralist, right? <laughs> there was no way that anyone could have convinced me to meditate for hours and hours as a way to see my own disillusions. Even though that's the quote unquote, the path that could really take me there. So I really needed a different tool, right? Uh, a, a jackhammer, shall we say, to really mm. pulverize my, my dissolution to lift the veil. I'm mixing analogies, but you, you, you get what I'm saying here. Totally. Yeah. A bigger tool great. to get me to the truth and get me a glimpse. And I'm also aware enough to know that is not a sustainable path. I can be drinking ayahuasca every day. It's just not practical. I'm a householder. Like I need to be operating in this world. So for me, the way I see it is, hey, there are all times I do it regularly as a way to see the truth benchmark. And every day I do have my daily practices. Hence why I'm curious about talking to you, the, the rituals of tea, the ritual of Ayurveda, thinking about food and meditate regularly. And I do my physicality rituals every day. It's not to replace these things, but it's a way for me to benchmark myself on a regular basis. That's beautiful. And I think sometimes we have in our society, we tend to believe that in order to seek spirituality, in order to seek deep wisdom, you need to step far out of your atmosphere. You need to step far out of your, your circle of uh, influence. And that could be through a substance or it could even be through going deep distances, whether it's to India or other parts of the world. And although there are times for retreat, there are times for allowing yourself that permission to go deep and, and on that soul search hunt. But I believe that you can find a deeper sense of spirituality in your daily practice. It's not necessarily closing your ears and closing your eyes, but how am I showing up in the world through the work that I do, through the, the intention that I, how I show up with my, my family, how I show up with my community, the more present I can become and the more successful I can become it becomes a spiritual obligation to, to be the biggest and the best light that I possibly can be through becoming successful, through doing well while doing good. So it's not separating, not that money is evil. It's not that you need to go off and do something completely separate of yourself, but you can actually intertwine all those worlds together and leave and lead a life of just full spiritual intention. 100%. You're coming to the right podcast and speaking about that. What we're discussing here is being an embodiment of what's possible. Mm. You can be good, you can be successful, and you can, what was the third one? I can't remember exactly. You can be fulfilled, essentially. So it's, they're not mutually exclusive. Oh, I can only be successful. If I'm successful, then I'm not good. Who says, right? You can actually do all of them. And then part of 
why I'm so passionate about this particular podcast and engaging with other noble warriors is that what's your practice? How do you continue to expand your awareness? How do you continue to be equanimous, even though on the outside, there's a lot of chaos and so on. So thank you for just underlining exactly what we're trying to accomplish here. I think, yeah, and it's a total honor for me to be here and know that like we're all vessels. So how, how do we want to channel and how do we want to tap into that? So what do we want to intentionally fill our vessels with? And, and then what do we want to share? So if you look at, so I spent some time in Israel and like a Peace Corps type program a number of years ago. And I remember learning with someone that was significantly wiser than myself in a cooperative learning environment. And he was telling me that there are two types of people in Israel. There's uh, that's similar to two types of bodies of water in Israel. One is called the Sea of Galilee. And it's, this is where Jesus walked on water. And then there's the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is a body of salt. You can float in it. It's healing. It's very interesting, but there's no birds around. There's no fish around. And the Dead Sea basically fills up from the water from the Sea of Galilee, which is also known as the Sea of Life. And the Sea of Life gives water to the fields, gives water to the country, and there's fresh fish and birds and plants and all sorts of other life within and around it. And it's a very small body of water. And that body of water leads into the Dead Sea, which just absorbs. The idea is, you give and you give, and by the act of giving, your vessel, you, end up becoming full of fresh life and fresh content and fresh energy rather than trying to hang on. If you hang on, then the water becomes salt, becomes stale, becomes stagnant, becomes dead. And so if I ask you to take a huge deep breath, because scientifically it's shown that by taking a large deep breath, you will live longer but eventually you're going to have to breathe out. And the same thing happens in terms of abundance, whether it's spiritual abundance, financial abundance, love abundance, whatever that might be, you have to be able to let go of the vine. You have to be able to to really give significantly more than what you ever expect to receive. And the universe, I remember when my mom passed away and I, I met with an Ayurvedic physician from India and I told him about my journey with my mom. And he told me, he said, because you gave so much of your life to your mom. I, I literally did everything from that you can imagine that she couldn't function. So I was doing everything for her. And what he told me was because you gave everything for your mom, you, the universe has no other way of showing up for you than giving back to you tenfold. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly, like you put yourself into a scenario where you're giving wholeheartedly. We're so scared of, oh, maybe I'm going to get taken advantage of, or maybe someone's, something's going to screw me over, but you know what? You just keep showing up and you keep giving and loving, and then the abundance will come your way. It just will. You will attract it significantly. Hmm. I so appreciate you saying that. Why don't we actually sure. go down that? Yeah, why don't we actually go down that that rabbit hole a bit? I wasn't expecting it, but since hey, what the heck? 
Um, <laughs> uh, what you're describing is, let me just reflect back on my personal journey as well. In my younger days, I'm so super self-obsessed about me. What do I want? My goals and how do I get there? And, and it wasn't until I had my moments of darkness and moments of just like all of my tools that I have accumulated over time, working harder, being smarter, like just stop working. I'm like, holy shit, what do I do? Then, you know, that egoic illusion crumbles. Then I had to just basically say, fuck, what else is there? What's beyond the intellect? Then I found, oh, empathy and compassion for myself, first and foremost, then for others. Then beyond that, oh, the spirit. Hey, there's much bigger things out there that's intangible that I couldn't measure through my egoic, materialistic approach to life. So I'm curious to know from your perspective, were there dark moments that you had to encounter for you to say, hey, there's much more to that than just what's measurable? Or actually, no, you talked about your mom. So can you zoom in on the specific moments where what that have led you to say, hey, there's much bigger things ahead of me. Yeah. I grew up in a, like a really, like I grew up in Southern California in a community in the, what they call the Valley, which was sweet and safe. And I had great neighbors. My parents would like, just come home, ride your bike. I just come home for dinner, a very different period of time. And at that, and then my parents had a really nasty divorce and me and my siblings and, and our family split up and we were well-established, well-financed home and then nothing. So from age 14, my parents were fighting over money. I went to go live with my brother who was living in Arizona at the time, only a few years older than me. And I had to support myself and literally eating margarine or what we know of as country crock and bread for a summer. And, and then I remember calling my dad saying, Hey, can you send me money? I don't have anything to eat. He said, is there a neighborhood near you? I said, yeah. He said, is other houses in that neighborhood? I said, yes. He said, well, go knock on the doors of the neighborhood and see if you can clean their house or wash their windows or do anything. And you have to understand, I had a live-in housekeeper up to that summer. Going from a private school to knocking on people's doors, asking for food was a huge leap, but an adventure nonetheless. And then working my way through high school, getting a full paid scholarship to go to college. And then my mom gets sick. And so moved from Arizona to, to, to live with her. And in order for you to recognize a dark time, there has to be some light, right? So if you're in an extremely dark room, uh, a dark universe, the only way that you know that there's dark is because the light helps to contrast that darkness. And in order for you to be even baked in full light, there also has to be some contrast of some darkness. 
there there were glimpses of, of joy in that process, even in the darkest times. So by taking care of my mom and, and being in that, and I can totally relate to what it's like going through a really hard time. And all I can tell you is that the, the one piece of advice that I was given directly after taking care of my mom was there's a vacuum. And it sounds like even in your period of time, you were, there was financial success, there was job success. You were in a cerebral zone where you knew how to function and you were a, a rock star in that space. Then all of a sudden, that dimension got cracked. Now, how do you show up in a completely different way? And what does success look like for you in that completely different way? One piece of advice that I was given was take care of someone else that is in a, a worse state off than you are. And I thought there's no way that anyone is in a worse state off than I'm in. But I started to look at maybe other kids that were in a worse off state than than I was in and seeing what I could do in terms of volunteering and setting up youth groups and, and then later in life, leveraging, like when I was on that Peace Corps program, after I studied at the Ayurvedic Institute, I noticed that there were some kids on this on the Peace Corps program that, that was, that we were working with that were eating just a pita sandwich every day. It was just bread. That's it for lunch and breakfast, just bread. And I asked one of the teachers, I'm like, how come this kid's just eating bread? I thought maybe he just didn't want to eat anything else. And they said, that's all that they can afford. So I said, let's create a horticulture program. So we took part of the kid's playground and shovels and, and dirt and, and literally started planting so kids can get more aware of where their food uh, comes from. And so we started planting and growing and showing them how to cultivate so they can get a better understanding. It's just seeds, right? Seeds are very cheap and water and dirt. Yeah, I went down multiple paths there. But at the end of the day, I think it's trying to find someone or an organization that that can utilize your time and your energy and your love and your support. And it will lift you, I think, even more significantly than the people that are receiving the help. Yeah, thank you for that. Quick recap, what you just said. When you were going through your dark moments, the advice that you were given was go help someone else as a way yeah. to really get in your place of, hey, I, I can still give. I, I can still help. I can still support others. I can't remember who's, which smart person said this, but... I really love it. So I keep it in mind as a mantra, give what you want most. Mm, uh, if, you want, if you want more love, hey, go out and give more love to others. If you, hey, if you want more money and success, hey, go out and help other people to be more abundant in success and money. And if you want more friendship, go out and actually be a friend to others, right? So that's one of the things that, that was a, one of the key life lessons that I learned and you share beautifully in your story. Thank you. And and along those lines, and we're here for such a short period of time on this planet. And we can't waste it. Like we're given this incredible opportunity on this planet to really make an impact. So for me, my my channel, my impact really is tea because it, regardless of age and gender and religion and demographics and geographic location, the philosophy in life, right? 
tea can really help multiple people. So I, and I want to impact as many lives as, as I can through tea. And for other people, it might be something that's just wanting to help one individual person or trying to discover themselves on a deeper level or using technology as a way of impacting the world. But we're here for a breath of, of air in terms of the time frame of the overall universe. So what can we do to really make that impact and wake up with that thought every day? Fuck, what can I do to just drive it? Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't wake up fully inspired every day. It's a process. You, you got to churn. You got to grind and get up. And, and it's not about the motivation. It really is about the discipline of creating the impact that will create the motivation. Most people think, well, when I'm motivated, then I'm going to have the discipline. It's not going to work that way. Got to create the discipline to create the motivation. What are some of the morning rituals that you do? As a way so, to cultivate that discipline, exercise the muscle, so then you're, you are in control, quote unquote, in control, even though control is an illusion, but you're more sovereign in the way that you want to go after your life. So the very first thing I do before I get out of bed or when I get out of bed is I put my right foot down on the floor and I'm symbolically sending a message to myself that I'm getting off on the right foot. I believe that morning ritual of how you set the world up. Are you hitting snooze? Are you waking up and getting out of bed right away? So, uh, so all these little things add up. So the first thing I do is, one, if I'm struggling with a question and if I'm struggling with needing to find an answer, sometimes what I'll do is I'll go to sleep the night before with looking for that. I'll, I'll ask myself the question with the hope that the answer will come in the morning, right? Especially an important decision. I'll wait typically about 40, a max of 48 hours in order for me to execute on an important decision. And so that starts with the nightly ritual, which sets the intention for the daily ritual. Now, if you notice, like sometimes you might go to sleep thinking, man, I'm only going to get five hours of sleep or six hours of sleep. I don't know if it's going to be enough. And because you went to sleep with that thought, you will wake up feeling exhausted. Mm. But if you wake up like, oh my gosh, I only got five hours of sleep that I'm going to be able to get, but I'm so pumped because I'm going to go be going surfing or I'm going to be going on a trip or I'm going to be hanging out with a friend I haven't seen in a long time. You are going to wake up energized. The, my final exam at the Ayurvedic Institute with Dr. Vasant Lad, who I learned with, there's an amazing documentary on him called The Doctor from India that's available on Amazon. It just came out recently. And in my final exam, I was asked the question, and, and by the way, we everyone was preparing, staying up late at night. So my final exam question was, what is karma? And I could have given a textbook answer that we studied, that we learned, but I said, you know, how we think today and how we act today impacts how we think and how we act tomorrow. So this is the rolling definition of karma. I love that. Thank you for that. Sure. And really that ripple effect doesn't end, really. If you think about it on a Confucius said self, family, country, world, that mm. fractal effect in how you behave in your thought process, your words, your action ripple out 
honestly intergenerationally if you really think about it you know that's the way i think about it anyway that's what that's uh, what i like totally to right man I, I, if if someone 100 years from now or 200 years from now is watching this podcast and if you and i can collectively impact their lives in some way then you know we're, that energy transfer is helping to live on in deep and meaningful ways so i hope that we can somehow make that impact together that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about media and technology, because in my mind, those are highly scalable with a lot of ripple effects. And actually already I've gotten back people who listened to the podcast and said, Hey, CK, really appreciate when you and your guests talk about the dark moments, because most people don't talk about that. Most people just say, I had a problem, I had a vision, solve it. Ta-da. Let's yeah. dive into that more. Let's go there. Let's go there, man. Yeah. So yeah, let's go there. So my suggestion is lean into it. So if you lean into the dark moment, so what most people do is they're like, they'll suppress it. A dark thought comes up and we all have that. So in, in, in my, my culture, it's called Yetzirah Ra. So that Yetzirah Ra is that evil inclination. It's that dark side that comes up. And so there is the Alter Rebbe, who is a significant teacher that lived a few hundred years ago, would talk a lot about the evil inclination, this dark side within us. And the whole concept, even Dr. Vasant Lad that I would learn with would say, you have this dark moment and rather than suppress it and try to ignore it and push it away, that can oftentimes end up in health impacts and, and negative back pain or stomach issues or cancer or a number of other things that can happen. Rather, if we face the dark side, meaning if you don't need to take that Jedi Knight sword and try to freaking crush it, you just watch it. You welcome it and you watch it and you let it flower and then you let it die without trying to control it, without trying to motivate it. Just let it present itself. Let it show you whatever it needs that, that you need to see. I'm going to use a much smaller example here. I was talking with my 15-year-old daughter about homework, and she said she's starting to get the idea that if you tackle the hardest thing first, then, the, then it becomes so much easier. And the hardest thing was just the buildup of, fuck, I got to do all this homework. And just by doing the homework, <laughs> just by doing the homework made it so much easier than thinking about doing the homework. So in the same way, if, if we feel that, that dark edge come up, just watch it, man. Just welcome it. And like, all right, you're here. What do you want to show me? What do you want me to talk to it? Welcome it. And feel it. We're trying to just get so numb in the society. And and if you just welcome whatever it is that it's trying to show you, it could be a tool. And some of the most powerful people in history have had dark inclinations, but they've been able to utilize that dark force, not suppress the dark force, but utilize that dark energy through mastery and through growth, that alchemy can have such powerful, significant impacts. Now it can tweak you if you don't have the right teacher, 
It can take you down, man. It can take you down. But that shouldn't scare you. Just keep mm. asking for guidance and keep asking for the teacher and, and the teacher will appear. Yeah. Let me, uh, again, recap and then we can go to the teacher. <laughs> cool. so that, that's my style, man. So yeah, man, you're great. You're doing great. So what I'm hearing you say is whenever there's a dark, in the dark moments, whatever negative emotions or thoughts that come Even back, memory. Right, a memory or regrets, whatever may be a thought, an image, emotion that comes up. The younger CK would just make it wrong. Oh, I shouldn't have it. Suppress it. Let me think of something else. Ignore it. Or make myself wrong. Why do you have these thoughts or image or regrets? Like passes past, quote unquote. You know, just effing do it, right? This kind of things to force an outcome. The more I actually study these this path of integrated living and really what it takes to actually self-actualize oneself, what it actually takes to transcend, right? You know, to walk on this path. The more I realize, the the, uh, the more I fully embrace. Everything that comes up, welcome it, as you said, beautifully. And then to feel everything. Oh, what is it trying to show me? How does it actually make me feel? And feel it fully. And then miraculously, oftentimes these things would just disappear because they feel fully acknowledged, right? They've done their job. They fulfill their intention because I give it the attention and then that you need it and that you need it then i can move on to the thing and i and for me is i had to really learn that through really a beautiful practice of like ayahuasca ceremonies and because then i'm forced to look at these things right during the moment and that's hard it's in your face at that point and it's there we all have them in our but but we become so busy we got to click refresh in our inbox we got to check the, our Instagram feed, whatever it might be that's holding us from just really taking some time and looking deeper within. But the fact that you took that time out, it's beautiful. And that you're sharing it with your viewers and your, your listeners. That's great. And by the way, just when I think I got it, like life slams another veil in front of me and say, okay, you saw a glimpse but it doesn't mean you fully gotten it. So I definitely have my, my, my struggles. I definitely have my, my desires to continue to learn. And the, uh, the darkness that pushes me like, maybe not today, man, just relax today. Just, you don't need to learn today, but you gotta, you gotta just stay disciplined and, and, and keep pursuing and pushing through that darkness. That's actually one of the reasons why, to me, I want to normalize these type of conversations because most, especially business podcasts or any kind of business publication or media, you just see people with veneers on and they just mm. say, oh, life is glossy and perfect. I have everything I'll figure out. And in my mind, giving my age, I'm like, bullshit. That's not human beings are imperfectly perfect. Everyone's on their journey. It's totally to okay perfectly normal to have whatever it is that we are dealing with the challenges struggles and so on so thank you so much again 
for being here to be so open to to talk about something like this so thank you for giving me the opportunity to appreciate it yeah so let's talk a little bit about before i move to the teacher segment are there other practices or path or books or resources for those who are facing their dark moments that you can share with them yeah going back to tea if you think about the simple process of brewing tea it's it's leaves and water if you select the water good clean water source you have your teapot you have your cup or you know whatever tea accoutrements that you'd like to use just turning your phone off turning your devices off for you know 6 minutes or so selecting the leaves preparing the water getting your cup ready and being super mindful in that process. Meaning feel the leaves, feel the temperature of the water, feel the cup and breathe in the aromatics. That simple process, that ritual, regardless of the teas that you use, that simple ritualistic process will help feed you in significant and meaningful ways. Now, if you think about the product itself, it's typically grown in a very pristine environment, but the sole purpose of those products at this point is now to use your alchemy, use your body to, you know, fully realize the energetic proponents of that botanical that you're consuming or that tea that you're consuming. The sole purpose now of that botanical is to be that key to unlock something within you. So if you, even if you take a look at a tomato, a tomato, you could easily just, you could, it could outlive its purpose by just throwing the tomato on the floor and throwing it in the trash and that's it. But if you consume the tomato, then the, uh, even on a cellular level, all the properties of that tomato are being fully realized. So what can we do through a sense of gratitude and through a sense of intention give some deeper purpose and meaning behind just a few minutes a day of finding select high quality teas ideally and high quality pure clean water and enjoying that process and it's a whole paradox like man i don't know that i have six minutes but if you give yourself that permission then you'll end up finding that you have so much more time and so much more capacity to be able to give in this world yeah i one of the thing i think is super ninja about uh, the whole tea ceremony idea or concept is at the end you want the product to help you with your energy or your mood or whatever but it's the ritual in my mind anyway it's a ritual that forces you to be more present and be more aware in the moment and it's very precise in the way that it does things and so forth. Can you share with us a little bit more about, because I love rituals, as I don't know if you can tell already. I love rituals. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, you know, I love ceremonies. It's one of those things that if you just look at it me mechanistically, it's a little bit, what's the point of doing it this way, pouring it that way? But if I look at it on a more spiritual, emotional, psycho psychosomatic level, there's a lot of meaning behind it. So can you contextualize the importance of rituals in one's life? Yeah. 
one is I think that it creates a chain of something that's beyond people that existed way before us. Whether that's through a tea ceremony or tying on a gi or it's praying at the end of the day, whatever that ritual might look like for you. So let's take tea, for example. Now, as we consume and as we enjoy a good cup of tea, as, as we're pouring, so there are several similar cross traditions that tend to happen with tea. So one is pouring three times. So you pour and then a second time and then a third time. Now, why three times? So the first is, is that at the top level of the teapot, it's a lighter brew. And at the bottom, it's a richer brew. So if I pour for you and then I pour for myself, I'm going to have a different tasting cup than yourself. But if I pour for each of us three times, then we're, we're each tasting the same thing. That's the superficial level. Then there's the deeper level, right? And an even deeper level. So the deeper level is there's a level of mastery behind this. If you are, let's say you and I are playing archery and you shoot a bullseye. Wow, that's amazing. You got a bullseye. That's great. Then you shoot again and you hit another bullseye. All right. Could be luck or it could be mastery. We don't know yet. You hit a bullseye a third time. It wasn't luck. You're a master of what you're doing. So by pouring three times, there's a beginning and there's a middle and an end. And life is, as we explore on our paths, it's cyclical, right? We go through this 365, but it's not a complete closed circle loop. Rather, it's cylindrical, which tends to keep rising, especially if we're on an intentional path. If we can utilize tea and that process of pouring three times, even sipping three times, bringing in all the different sensory experiences, we tend to think oftentimes for those that might not be aware of ritual or might not be in incorporating rituals, something that has to be so far out there in this world. It doesn't have to be. It could be so simple. So simple as a blade of grass, putting your right foot on the floor, taking, taking tea in the morning, you know, uh, what you're doing with your, your journal entry before you go to bed. There's very simple things that we could be doing that can have a rich and meaningful impact on your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. In my mind, as we were speaking, what comes to mind could be a series of tea journals. I know that you're already getting into teaching people how to make tea and enjoy tea. There's a whole series of things that we could do just around tea, simplistic tea enjoyment experience slash ceremonies. So, yeah, anyway, we have just a thought. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I, I love it. And there are tea ceremonies that are starting to pop up. It's been around for a few years, but with COVID, it's definitely posing some more challenges. But just the simple process of leaves and water and, and pouring and serving. A lot of what we tend to focus on is the hospitality space from like Peninsula Hotel in Tokyo to a, a beautiful sit-down restaurant in Century City. So th there's something about being served. I remember I had a friend over and I made her, I said, do you want me to make you some tea? She said, yeah, I'd love it. I made her some tea. 
offered it to her. And she said, you know what? Honestly, I could have made it myself. But there's something about someone else making it for me. It just, just always tastes so much better. And so, again, even with those dark moments, by being really intentional and even offering a cup of tea for someone else, it's amazing the healing process that happens through that transference, the products that you're, you, the energy that you're putting into it. When we blend our tea at our, our facility, in terms of how we're blending, the music that we're playing, there's an energetic transfer that goes into the product that we hope will impact someone's life in some deep and meaningful way. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about on this podcast is currency of love. Mm. The attention that you put into your tea, that's your currency of love. How mm. you serve the tea is the currency of love. How you prepare the tea, currency of love. The space that you hold as you describe where the tea is coming from, how I prepare it. That's actually one of the main reasons, Steve, I'll just be totally frank with you, why I love to talking to you because as you describe the origin of these teas, your stories and the wisdom behind it and what you learn from it, like that to me is very, what's the word I'm looking for? Intoxicating. Wow, what a storyteller. Because it's not the tea itself that I'm interested in. It's the energetic transmission. It's the narrative. It's how you describe it. You basically paint a whole movie in my head when you're describing your story. And if you, if you love storytelling and, and you want to hang out more, and let's say you want to dive deeper into tea, we actually recently launched How to Become a Tea Expert. And it's hanging out with me in 25 videos on how to become a tea expert. And it's on our website, hardtotea.com, how to become a tea expert. I'll make sure the, the link's in the show notes. <laughs> That's awesome. But okay, so let's actually talk about that a bit because you started making videos. I can't remember how long. It was about nine years ago when you were talking about fair trade, if I recall correctly. Wow, man. Yeah. And 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 then if I when I watch you now, you are composed, you're calm, you're a great storyteller, you have a embarrassing great energetic transmission. <laughs> So share with us a little bit of the journey of stepping to that prominence into public as a public storyteller. I, I think storytelling is, it's part of what makes us human. It's the ability to take someone on a journey with you. And I think tea has this level of being able to go off to tropical islands or you know, deep within Zen monasteries which is beautiful within itself. But that video that you talked about nine years ago, I was really on a path of searching for altruism. I was curious if altruism exists. And there was a program at the time called Fair Trade. And now that that program is split into two different organizations because they were fighting and it was two owners that I, I don't know all the inner politics. I don't want to get into politics and all the politics, but before it was really good intentioned and, and I wanted to go and I wanted to see and live the impact of what fair trade was all about. And that got us into direct trade and becoming vertically integrated as an organization from leaf to cup. But from now, I, I so appreciate you saying that. You know what? I think at this point, 
I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on this planet. I hope I'm on this planet for a long time. And I just feel like if I can continue just to show up and be as authentic as possible, then I'm doing the right thing. And the second thing, which is really important for me to notice, I have a phenomenal team behind me. I'm so grateful for my team because for years I had the wrong team, uh, wrong member on my team. And I just did whatever I could to try to really make it fit. But having the right team can allow you to shine to the best of your ability. And they say right seats, the right bus, right person, right seat. And when you find the right people on your team where they're showing up and, be, and they want to make an impact and they're doing what they love doing and you're doing what you love doing, then it just gives more fluidity and more permission for me to show up. And I, I believe that I, I really just want to impact as many lives as I can through TIA. And I think storytelling is my way and offering, hopefully, just a really phenomenal product. That connection is a way to, to really make that global impact. Yeah. So I want to go down that rabbit hole just a bit more because it is a journey to step into prominence, right? If you look at the video nine years ago to today, you're confident, you're composed, you know, your purpose, this, you're devoted to your mission, which is T. But that aside, share with us a little bit of the inner journey of what does it actually take to be that composed and like charismatic on camera and, and speak? Because yeah, you know, if, so I, if I look at you, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not Steve. Like, how can I ever be? Steve? I'm not saying I, 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 but that's the egoic thought comes that automatic comparison comes to my So share with us a little bit about that inner journey, how you become so authentic and calm and composed. Thanks. You know what? I, I, if I try talking to everyone, then I'm going to really reach no one. But if I, every time I talk, whether I'm on stage or I'm giving a lecture at a university or I'm doing a podcast, I really just try to hone in on one person. So now I'm, I'm speaking to you and my intention is that as I'm speaking to you, so if, if your question is, how can a speaker help teach other speakers? It really is find one person in the room, speak to that one person and everyone in the room will feel like you're speaking to them. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> that was part of the question, but okay. the question I'm going really going for is in my mind, you are who you are when you speak. There's very little facade or you know pretense, and to me, that's very admirable, right? How did you, you get to that point of I, I'm speaking my truth and this is who I am? Take it or leave it. That level of like unabashedness. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I just I feel the limitation of time, and I don't. I'm running out of time. And I just, I need to speak as much truth as I can and show up for people in this world that, that really need it. Mm. And I, it's, it saddens me to say, I think God, as far as I know, I'm super healthy, but I don't know how long I'm going to be on this planet. And I just, I have to have that impact. I have to be able to do whatever I can, whatever I've learned 
through the different teachers, through my journeys, through my, my, my product offerings, the team that we're with, this channel, being able to touch your listeners' lives and intention, this is what gets me going. I also think that starting in, I started at like my late twenties and there, there wasn't Gary V at the time that was telling you like post, post every day, just get the word out, document, like those guys are super cool with what they're doing and what their messaging's about. I don't know that you need to mimic anyone. I just think you gotta just, and if you don't know exactly what your purpose is, just think about what's your superpower. What's that one thing that you can really hone in and lean in on that and just give and give. And again, the universe will have no choice but to show up for you in return. Yeah, it's, a law, just... it's a law of value creation, right? So in my mind, <laughs> so much value creativity, time, love, empathy, space, insights that you give. So in my mind, just, uh, just, it's a universal law that comes back to you ultimately. So yes, beautifully said, very beautifully said. Let me ask you this, cause you started art of T 2004. Did it come to you as an inspiration as a, as in, Hey, I want to create a company that I want to work this is what it looks like or does it come out of discontent oh everyone else is doing it wrong and therefore i'm gonna do something totally original and different like how does it how did it come to you at the time late 90s early 2000s i finished my studies at the ayurvedic institute i was traveling bringing stuff back for different botanicals and herbs and teas for friends and family and i was also working at a treatment center for kids as a, a rabbi now i'm not an ordained rabbi but i'm studied enough to i just i love ancient texts whether it's studying sanskrit at the ayurvedic institute and weaving in that ancient knowledge with my 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 Jewish tradition knowledge and finding those patterns and similarities. And so I worked as a as a rabbi at a treatment center for kids. And while I was doing that, I was blending and and giving stuff out for friends and family. And I I got I was starting to contemplate with my wife. We were just recently married and I was like I wonder if I start peddling these teas around to different places, if we might catch on, if it might, there might be some interest. So we reached this point where it's like, man, if I can make a thousand dollars in sales a week, that's 500 bucks in our pocket. We could probably get by, like we could probably do this. And at the time I got offered a six figure job to do like really great job, impact a local community, really help lead that, that congregation for lack of a better word, world, word. And I thought, I think I can make a bigger and deeper impact through tea. Dr. Laud, who I was studying with said, if you see someone slipping in the mud, you hand them a stick, you don't hand them your hand. And so 
tea, I felt like could help impact more people's lives than through seeing individual people. And regardless of race and gender and religion and demographics, tea can really help impact so many more people. I, I turned down that six figure job and out of our living room, started blending and sourcing and, and soon caught the attention of Wolfgang Puck and then caught the attention of Caesar's Palace. I actually ended up training the first tea sommelier in the US and then caught the attention of different hotels and restaurants and spas and it just grew from there. And then after a year of working in my, actually not even a year, less than a year of working in my living room, I needed to hire someone, not because I had the money. And by the way, everything was self-funded. Like I had Aunt Visa and, and Uncle MasterCard as my my two VC fundraisers. And I, everything was, and, and my wife and my philosophy was, you know what? We can always go back. I was really good at, at, at what I was doing and I can always go back, but I don't know that I'm going to have an opportunity like this at this point in time to do this before we have kids and let's give this a shot and let's fail. And now, and I fucked up a lot and failed a lot and I kept learning and growing and I personality profile, like learning is up there for me. I love learning and I encourage my team to learn and lean. If we fuck up, it's great. What did you learn for like, how much was that? master's degree on on what you just fucked up on that's great keep learning keep going yeah, uh, yeah. it's good essentially you're treating everything like an experiment you're willing to invest <laughs> in an experiment and then learn from it if it's if you learn from your experiment it's not fail it's learning yes yeah exactly and so just early on leaning in on that. And I didn't have anyone in my immediate contacts that or my immediate local surroundings that did the entrepreneurial path and went off and did their own thing. I, and this is before podcasts were, were kicking into gear. So I turned my car into a university. I was like buying CDs of Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and all these other guys that cheesy music in the background before they start talking and are you concerned about time management and i didn't i, I didn't have a bachelor's degree so I, I just i needed to figure out okay these people have interviewed and worked with the top performers in the world what can i do to learn from them and hang out with them as i'm going around town um and going and traveling around the world and so in some cases like when i'd be deep in the forest in china I remember meeting one of the speakers and telling him, man, you were the only English speaker that I heard for about a week. And I just want to thank you. And he still tells that story today, which is pretty awesome. So knowing yeah. everything that you know now, I know that you're a EO advisor, you advised aspiring and young entrepreneurs, you continue to study and grow. What are some of the books that really were pivotal in, in Elevating your mindset as a to be to live in this abundance mindset. The first thing that comes to mind is called the Go Giver. It's a simple read, and it's beautiful. It's uh, I think it's an essential need, essential read. Man, there's so many great books out there, but Go Giver is one that really stands out. 
I'm sure everyone talks about Think and Grow Rich and how that's impacted their lives in some way. So I don't want to repeat that one necessarily. And I'll lean on ancient books like the Pirkei Avod, which is a Lessons of the Fathers. There's the Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And there's so many interpretations that that sort of ripple out beyond both of these. There's just so much wisdom from people that lived hundreds, if not thousands of years before we were on this planet. So yeah, there, there's a principle. I can't remember the name of the principle, but essentially says the longer the book has existed, that means more likely that it will exist for that time. So instead of studying the popular books of our day, which is likely to only be popular for however long that's been popular, if you study the scriptures as being around for hundreds, if not thousands of years, the likelihood of still be useful thousands of years from now is very high. Beautiful. So, very well said. I love that. That's yeah. awesome. I'm curious. So let's see. So one thing I, I am curious about is in a time where everyone has three seconds of attention span and everyone wants to chug that five hour energy thing, three seconds, you can have our you know energy for five hours. It seems like what we're doing here and as well as tea is going the opposite direction. We want people to slow down. We want people to deepen that awareness. And we want people to take the time to do the rituals. So I'm curious to know your point of view. How do you fight is not the word. How do you enroll and preach this art of slowing down and actually being the moment, enjoying this cup of tea, taking the proper time to do it, et cetera? So when I first started seeing um, patients, when I finished the studying the Ayurvedic Institute, and even some of the patients that we would see in studying with Dr. La, they would come and they're like, I need more energy. I just, I don't have enough energy. I need more energy. <laughs> in fact, what people need is, is they need not the cotton on the fire that's gonna give them those bursts and spikes, but they need something more sustaining. And I have no problems with caffeine, by the way. And in fact, if you take, and I, I go to the dark side, I drink coffee from time to time. I, I like a good cup of coffee, but let's just take a look at caffeine and energy for a second and how coffee compares to tea. If you take the, the bean, the coffee bean, and uh, you brew it, the spike of caffeine goes up and then you have this really long, deep crash. It takes a long time to come back to your normal state very long time to come back to your normal state. So I actually think people are more addicted to the crash of coffee than they are the rush of coffee. And tea, you get this elevated state, but you come back down eventually to your normal state. So you don't actually dip below your normal state. You go up and then you come down. Oh, interesting. So, I did not know that. So the polyphenols, the flavonoids, the catechins, all the good stuff for you combined within the tea leaf help combat those negative side effects of caffeine and you, you just don't have that within coffee so coffee you get a deep crash tea gives you this what they call tea mind this elevated mental state where you're able to be hyper focused mentally clear if you need to be in your feet all day you need to present something 
you need to work on a, a project. T gets you in that frame of mind. And this is also why I think why Google and Slack and some of these other really innovative thought leaders in the tech space, why we work with them is because T really has the ability to work with techs and work with different creatives to be able to sit and get in that zone and really hyper-focus on what they're doing. And they're alert. They're not feeling that. So I can drink a shit ton of coffee and feel jittery, but mentally foggy. With tea, I can just sip on tea all day and feel super present without that crash. Pause. You say sip on tea all day. So it's not a one thing and then last for, that's not your style. You like to sip throughout the day. I, so I taste hundreds of teas a month in terms of quality control and in terms of sourcing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I, I sip a lot of tea, but in terms of enjoying a cup of tea, it's not a gulp. It's not a big gulp. It's not a slurp. It's, it's typically, it, it's a sip. Now it doesn't mean that you can't have, now over 85% of all the tea that's enjoyed in the U.S. is actually iced tea. So there's a lot of gulping that's happening with iced tea, which is great. But I think just being really intentional about what we're putting in our body and the mindful acts Again, that right foot on the floor, how we eat, how, how we sip, how we're holding our cup, how we're pouring. There's a story of two samurai armies, a full army on one side and a full army on the other side. And there's a tent in between. And the two generals come out between the armies and they meet inside the tent. And inside the tent, there's a little tea set up. And one general pours tea for the other general and the other general sips the tea and they could tell without saying a word who is one and who's lost the battle. So they both leave the tent. One general says, all right, guys, let's go home. We, we lost. And the other general goes and says, all right, guys, let's go home. We won. So there's so much intention behind the subtleties of the ceremony of tea. And I just wonder, could we potentially be more intentional with the work that we put in in this world, with the actions that we put into our daily lives, even if it might feel subtle, even if you might feel like it's not going to impact anyone else's life? What could it do, even in your own life, if we're more intentional with with how we carry ourselves? Yeah, for sure. On this podcast, the phrase we use a lot is the, the atomic unit of the skills that we're learning here being broadening our awareness being more equanimous these are fundamental skills of being extraordinarily successful extraordinarily fulfilled it's when we don't have capacity in in specific domains in our life when we lose that consciousness when we lose that awareness when we lose that equanimity in different domains of life that's when we really stop to be successful in in those domains. So I'm curious, as a tea master, as a tea plan master, looking at the 80-20 principle, right? So I'm not ever going to catch up to your skill level, right? As much as I try, because you're always constantly elevating yourself. However, 
knowing what what may be the 80-20, the 20%, that's going to get me pretty okay, 80% there. What are some of the fundamental atomic unit skills, the fundamental skills that I can learn to appreciate tea practice and tea itself? It's the commitment to the daily ritual. It's the commitment to, one, getting a better understanding of the the quality of leaves. I'm going to go into a slightly different direction and then weave it back if that's okay. Um, all teas are graded by size. So imagine getting a bag of unsalted, unflavored chips. And on the top of the bag, you get these uniform shapes. And as you work your way down, they're a bit more broken. And then all the way down at the bottom, it's just powder or dust. So that powder or dust is they're producing our teas in the factories. And what we source is the top 2%, hand-harvested, hand-picked, high-quality tea leaves. As they're producing the teas in the factories, the dust flies up in the air, falls on the ground, they sweep it in giant piles. And that's typically what's reserved for most traditional paper tea bags. So what we typically recommend first is find a great quality source for high quality loose leaf teas. Ideally something that's not been sitting on a supermarket shelf for a long period of time. You can go direct to origin. You can find numerous other online avenues or local tea shops and find your vertical. So some people really dive into Japanese green teas. Some people love oolongs and there's a plethora of it's known as the connoisseur's tea because you have something from 1% to 99% oxidized teas within the oolong sphere. Some people dive right into black teas and there's where you can really taste the terroir and soil conditions. Some people dive into pu'ers, which are deliberately fermented, a funky cheese or woodsy attic kind of smelt and taste to it. And some people love tazans, and tazans are the botanicals of the world, like chamomile or, or mint or rooibos. So find your vertical, and through that vertical, you can dive super deep and get really granular on the... Sorry, the, quick question. How do I find my vertical? Is it just, do I like the taste of it? Do I make, do I like the way yeah. the body feels? Like, how do I find my vertical? Great question. So one thing you can do, we actually have a tea quiz on our site and that tea quiz at artatea.com. It'll help you sort out what sort of flavor profile. So I'd start with going with a flavor profile and then seeing the biological effect. So if you're like, you know what, I'm a coffee drinker. I love the roasted flavor notes, or let's say you're a wine drinker and you like more of the, the astringent flavor notes. Or if you love fresh, fresh, fresh juice and wheatgrass, and you gravitate more towards the simplicity of linear flavor profiles. So just based on those, you might gravitate towards one or the other. And I'd say experiment at first. Try a white, try a green from Japan and a green versus China. Try various oolongs, try black teas you'll decide, like, I really like this channel, and you'll continue to dive deeper into it. And there's a whole world, there's over 10,000, so, okay, let me backtrack just for a second. All true tea comes from one evergreen shrub that we know of as Camellia sinensis. So within that, you have multiple sub-varietals, Camellia sinensis sinensis, Camellia sinensis sama, Camellia sinensis cambode, and you have thousands of sub-varietals, right? 
So depending on where it's from and how it's grown and how it's harvested, you can get so many different beautiful flavor profiles from them. But don't be afraid to just experiment and try the different uh, varietals that are out there and you'll find your vertical. I actually love jazz, I'm sorry, Japanese green teas because if you steep it at a lower temperature, like 140 to 160 for about a minute, for high quality Japanese green teas, like a gyokoro or a kabusecha, like a shade grown green teas, you actually get more EGCGs, more polyphenols and flavonoids out of it. And so one, I like the astringency. In our culture, in the US culture, we tend to gravitate more towards sweet and salty. The Japanese green teas tend to have more of that, that puckery astringency to it, but it, it makes you call for more. It's got that the there's a effect that tends to happen with Japanese high quality Japanese green teas where it just opens everything up in a really deep and meaningful way for for me anyway and I think for probably millions of other people that are really into it too by the way some teas is such a subjective experience yes I'm just making things up I don't know if there are things like that are there like benchmarks of hey take a bite of whatever herbs and wash your mouth with it. So that way your palate's clean and drink your tea. And then you should be able to see the flavor notes, this and that, and the other thing, and then make a mark. Okay. Make a mental note. That's the way this tea feels. And then try the other tea and a very methodical way to explore different flavor notes in your mouth. Is there something like that? So over 98%, yeah, it's a great question. So over 98% of what you're drinking when it comes to tea is, is water. So that 2%, what you're looking for are the flavor notes within that 2%, that, that impact. By the way, it just reminds me, like when for those that might be listening that are going through a dark moment, just realize that if tea can impact, 2% can impact the overall flavor of 98%. Just imagine what little impact you can have on someone's life on a daily basis. The, the best palate cleanser really is tea or even just a really good, clean source of water. The other thing is I have, so when you say master blender, master tea blender, like it feels so weird with those titles. But the thing is that, that one thing I'd say I'm really good at with tea is I have a, a weird, long flavor and aromatic memory. Like I remember flavor profiles extremely well. Wow. And I think because we have over 100, 120 different teas, being able to, in my mind, go back to the different blends and the different sources, different botanicals, and, and really see and taste what's going on. So I think that that's one thing that's helped me. And through my learnings at the Ayurvedic Institute, it's helped me understand the tongue. Mm. So the tongue is your tool it's your device that helps you understand one let's say you eat something spicy so really yes it's a sensation you might say it's just for pleasure but ayurveda would see it as a tool to help let your stomach know okay add extra secretions here because there's something very spicy that's coming in here so to protect that inner lining that tongue is that signal it also helps signal other parts of the digestive system, depending on the type of food that you're eating and where it's hitting and where it's impacting the, the tongue. So in the same way, tea can hit 
those and the different botanicals that it might be blended with can hit different parts of the tongue and therefore enact and trigger and, and turn on other parts of the body in very subtle and meaningful ways. Hmm. So someone like me who's a savant when it comes to taste, I need something very spicy or very salty or very whatever sour to be able to make a mental register like, oh, there's flavor. So for someone like me, who's also an eternal student, I, I want to be able to learn to have this taste profile memories that you had talked about. So again, dropping a note, not you know, no, no attachment there. Yeah, this is something that I like to learn. I don't know where to even go to even learn something like that. Again, at the Ayurvedic Institute, it, they really helped me understand that the tongue is like a, a guitar or like an instrument, right? So the more you use it, the more you tap into it, the, the more you start to see where it affects your body. So one way to start as one that loves high flavor profiles is there's a berry called Shizandra berry. Mm-hmm. And so Shizandra berry has the taste of salty and sweet and pungent and bitter and astringent all mixed into one. Now, how mm. is that possible? Now, let's say you have oats overnight, right? They're soaked oats overnight. And that's your breakfast in the morning or ghee, right? It's something really unctuous and oily. And you'll taste that shizanja berry after your breakfast and you might taste spicy. Let's say you had salad for breakfast. That berry might taste sweet. So that berry will balance out whatever you did not have throughout that day. So one way is like try a shizanja berry at various points in your day, either before or after a meal, and see what you're picking up. Are you picking up spicy? You're picking up same berry, but you might be picking up very different flavor profiles. And that's one way of like tuning your tongue. Ayurveda would say try tridosha, and tridosha is a way of, I'm sorry, not tridosha, trifala, three fruits, which is another balance of at the end of the day that can really help clean your tongue, clean your palate, and also help your overall digestive system. And the third is a tool, just a tongue scraper. Mm. Taking a tongue scraper will help you uh, fine tune your guitar, or in in this case, your tongue to be able to pick up different sensations and flavor profiles a little bit better. I love it. Some hack taste hacking skills. Exactly (laughs) what I need. Exactly what I need. Um, That's awesome. A couple more questions and then we'll wrap. Is that cool with you? Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Thank you. So you had talked about the importance of having the right teacher. You had talked about the importance of having the right team. So in my mind, this is all like what it takes to build a championship team. Can you share with us a little bit of the criteria that you use to quote unquote, find the right teacher, quote unquote, find the right team to support this beautiful mission that you have? Yeah. So Let's talk about team first. So for me, team is finding mindset. It's not about skill, previous skill set. There's not a lot of people that have worked within the tea industry. So I've had to learn. And if you're a tech company, finding someone in the tech space might be easier. It's an ignorant statement. I apologize. But finding someone in the tea space is challenging. And I've 
found that mindset and tenacity and hunger and drive are way more important to me than, than a strong resume of deep, rich experience and, and tea. So that, and honestly, like no assholes, like we just, we really try to be intentional about having a positive mindset within our team. How do you find um, that? I mean, everyone comes to the interview, they're put on their best mask. So how do you know if they're an asshole or not? Sure. If it's an interview, one of the things that we say is, you know what, we're, we're really good at a number of things, but communication is just something that we're, we just struggle with. And I'm just curious, knowing that it's an issue for us, what do you think you might do coming on board to help us improve our communication? And if they get hired and they get the job, they're like, I'm here because communication is an issue and I'm going to help solve that. And by the way, in every organization, communication is an issue. Of course. So this is no different. And thank goodness, like we have way better uh, communication to from our weekly meetings to how we're incorporating Slack and just the level of trust that's developed within our team. Like, so we're constantly refining and honing in and finding like blind spots. Like, oh, we got to get better at that. We're, how, what can we do better or differently? So we're always looking at ways of improving it. And the other is there's four quadrants that in terms of a personality. And sometimes you don't know in, in, right away in the interview, but you'll know within time where someone might fit within four quadrants. So one is, someone that's extremely skilled at what they do and great mindset, right? Ideal candidate, <laughs> no brainer, great attitude and a rock star. what they do. So, awesome. Second is great attitude, poor quality work. Like we love them, but they're just not performing. Like, okay, we, you got to let them go. It's going to be hard. We got to let them go. The third is, shitty attitude and poor performance no brainer like we got to let this person go and the last is poor performance i'm sorry let me rephrase that let me rephrase that the last is high performance shitty attitude and those are the most challenging people to let go because they tend to know all the knowledge they tend to be really awesome at what they do. And it's a cultural fit. It's, they're just not there. And some would determine that as a technical, the technical term would be terrorist within an organization. And needing to let go of those within an organization, which is the most challenging. When I talk to high executives and CEOs, this is probably one of the most challenging things within most organizations that where it's the keeper of knowledge and bad attitude, how do you break through that legacy? And it being, being okay with letting, letting that go and giving them an opportunity to find a place where they can shine in, in another environment. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. One, one of the, the key insights that I learned from Nicole Braffer, the founder of transformative tech 
conference, TTC. She said, we make what we are. So if you come into an organization with a particular mindset, particular communication style, particular beliefs of how we should communicate with one another, our customer experience, our product would, again, that ripple effect continues. So, beautiful. Yeah. So everything that you said is, it's a beautiful idea. I love that. Segway, different question is you art of teams is effectively now also a media company as well i see you being very active on twitter facebook and you have famously said you love instagram so how do you look at these social media architectures to really share your story and also why instagram i wouldn't say we're an, i'm an expert in instagram we do use these different platforms to be able to reach people where they're at and everyone lives within different channels in order to best communicate with people they love or people that they love to love. And I believe that we can have a breaking moment through technology with T, just reminding people to take, give themselves permission to take time out for that daily ritual. Yeah. So you don't have a meta cognition how you think about, oh, I want to share this story here. I want to share this story there. Like that mind, that mental model there. That's For probably sure. something that we should lean more into, but we've developed a lot in terms of the educational platform on our website through our, our course on how to become a tea expert. The tremendous, we have a wealth of data on our website on tea sourcing and tea background and tea recipes. In terms of media presence, it's really reminders to bring our tribe a bit closer to, to our messaging and a bit closer to the tea experience. And it's a very vocal community, by the way. Tea people are very vocal about the impact that tea can have on their lives and what they think of certain teas. And it's great. It's great That's to be right. able to harness that community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my mind, there could be a whole documentary series just about the different tea experts around the world, the different places that the farmers of those people that make tea and those connoisseur of how they prepare tea. And then and also the healers of how they use tea as a way to heal people. There are going to be so yeah. many things, but the, the future is super bright for the art of tea. Thank you. Actually, been writing a book it should be coming out in february all about traveling with sages and tea gurus and wonderful mentors and really look forward to to sharing this with the world so and I, I so appreciate your time today thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to reach your tribe and your audience and i'm very grateful thank you Steve, just wanted to take a moment, just to really acknowledge you to have a unconventional conversational dance with me. I know that this, these are not necessarily topics that you normally talk about and, and really appreciate sharing your expertise, your wisdom, your experience in just exploring different areas of tea. Like I've gotten so much a masterclass you know, just around tea and how to actually use tea and use rituals to deepen my own awareness 
to create this life of both success and fulfillment. Just thank you so much for sharing your time so generously with us. That means a lot to me. Thank you.